Welcome back to the Pet Cash Pod presented by Profluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Pet Cash. Before beginning today, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate you always being here and listening to these. I hope you're getting as much out of them as I am. I really just try to bring on the smartest people all across sports from athletes, investors, executives, and everything in between. And uh, I'm learning a ton. I'm having a ton of fun. And uh, almost at 100, at 100 episodes now. Uh, we'll announce that shortly. And 2024 is going to be fun. And we have a bunch of other cool ideas as we go into the future. But uh, if you're learning and having fun and, and, and getting great insights out of them, please leave a five-star review. It helps us a ton. With that said, today we had a great guest. He is the president and CEO of Serie A USA. They're the second most popular soccer league in the world in Italy. But he leads all the growth and innovation around the US and how they're dr- trying to draw fans over there. Tons of great insights just around the soccer landscape, what they're doing, how they view the United States and the soccer growth, the 2026 World Cup. I mean, just a, a truly awesome conversation. And he goes into some of his background, but he was the head of media accounts at Meta and uh, a bunch of cool stuff at Facebook and CNN. He's a he's a media type guru, another guy coming into sports now. So without further ado, let's dive in. Andy, appreciate you uh, hopping on today and we'll, we'll try to keep it not too technical as you called it from some of the past ones. But uh, well, talk- Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's yeah. great to be here. Yeah. Talk a little bit about soccer, Serie A, just sports, media, trends in general. But I guess okay. I guess just to get us kicked off, give us uh, you know the quick 30-second, one-minute background or, or whatever of you know how you got here and then obviously the inspiration and, and really what draw you know drew you to uh taking on this opportunity as a ceo of uh syria usa sure um so i've been in media my whole career i started at cnn in the early 90s i actually worked on the launch of cnn.com so before i know you know looking at you and your age you're probably like hard to hard to think about the fact that there was a life before the internet but um cnn.com was one of the first news websites and um was a got to work on that for pretty early in my career um, and uh, just have been in media ever since working kind of bouncing between broadcast, internet, social, spent 15 years at CNN. My last job was there was head of marketing and partnerships for digital. Went to Facebook in the early days. There was about 1500 people total at Facebook um, when I joined in 2010 and about 80,000 when I left. So experienced some significant growth. It was one of the first couple people to start up media partnerships as a function of Facebook um, based in New York. And so, you know, kind of did a little bit of everything when we were a small company. And as things became more specialized, I did international media partnerships. And then I focused on news partnerships. And my last job was um, a function that we called global media accounts where I managed a partnership with the biggest media companies in the world. So think about Globo in Brazil or NBC Universal or Disney here in the US. And was a huge soccer fan. As a kid I played and then kind of lost, you know, lost it for a number of years. Um, my son, who is now 14, was thinking about things that we could share and um, it was around the time when NYCFC was starting in MLS and said who gets to be a team, a fan of a team from day one. And so uh, we've been fans since day one. It's been a lot of fun for us. Um, really got the bug for soccer in the U.S., but also the time I was traveling a lot around Europe and South America and just saw the culture of soccer or football and was just kind of you know, smitten by it and became obsessed and thought about transitioning my career and realized that um, 
you know, football is really just a media business, the same as news or entertainment. And so I was like, maybe I am qualified and, you know, started talking to people and this opportunity came up and it's one of the biggest leagues in the world, lots of opportunity here in the US and, you know, thought it'd be a lot of fun to give it a try. And here we are eight, month, eight months in and it's a blast. Every day is a, is a new adventure. Really cool. It's uh, I always say it's awesome to see the amount of people that are coming from technology, media, have done you know really cool things, and and we'll call them you know ancillary type plays to sports. Now coming over and going, wait, it's actually a lot of similarities, isn't? So I can yeah. do something around sports, but it's like not that much different. And uh, so when you take on this role, CEO, right? What, Serie A USA, I guess explain that first and the structure and then obviously what it sort of looks like and how you're managing, growing the team around you, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so Serie A is the Italian top flight professional league. Um, in the 90s, it was the biggest team, biggest league in the world and most successful league in the world. Um, and Italy was also on top, you know, competing in World Cups and winning World Cups. Uh, they, uh, as, as I've heard executives of the league say publicly, they went to sleep for about 15 years, but have since uh, woken up and really trying to build a global business. We have uh, an office in Abu Dhabi to cover the Middle East, um, and the office, they opened this office here in the U.S. about a year and a half ago. And it really is to build a commercial business, build an audience, you know, build up our audience here. When I think about the job, I think about it across four main pillars. Number one is audience development. So how do we grow our audience? It could be on social. It could be watching our broadcasts on CBS or Paramount. We also just launched an email newsletter called Calcho Weekly. For those that don't know Calcho, and I, I didn't know before I started, I thought it was Calcio. Um, I've learned a little bit of Italian in my months, but in my months here. But um, so Calcio is Italian and um, is Italian for soccer. And so we launched an email newsletter. One of my hypotheses was that if you're an American fan interested in Sarah, there's no easy place to get content on a regular basis. So taking inspiration from Axios, we launched a weekly newsletter kind of aggregating some of the most interesting content from across social and across you know traditional digital media um, and send people a digest of what's going on in the league every Thursday. Very cool. Um, so, sorry, I got a little diversion. I was talking about the four pillars. So audience development, um, brand, brand marketing. So, you know, we are, as UEFA ranks, the number two league in Europe behind the Premier League. But I don't think, you know, necessarily... Americans have recognized the fact that how, you know, how well this league is doing, the, the level of competition on the pitch, the great brands that we have. So how do we spread that? Number three is commercial development. So how do we start to build a commercial business and find sponsors that want to associate with Italian excellence and, you know, Italy more broadly? And then lastly, and one of the things that I really appreciate as a league is the um, importance of community. So, you know, how do we do some grassroots efforts to support, you know, kids that may not get you know, the amount of attention that they deserve. So last week, um, we did an event in Miami with uh, Christian Pulisic's team and Puma at the Pulisic Stomping Grounds. We had a bunch of high school kids out. We trained them in the Italian way of training through some um, Italian coaches from Rome City Institute, who we partner with to do Sarah Elite. And then you know, previous to that, we'd done, uh, we helped Street Soccer USA build a pitch in the South Bronx of New York. And then we did some um, media training with kids from that neighborhood as well. So really try to you know, be more involved in the community. And the clubs do a lot of community um, outreach as well. Yeah, it's super uh, 
like it makes sense when you when you sort of break it down to the to the four pillars but ultimately at the end of the day when you really break it down it's like can we get more people from the u.s to watch and be fans of you know syria and in italy and and the 2026 world cup like does that did that play into sort of the league's decision partly of hey we got to get some some base and to the states and uh yeah, I mean, I think everybody in the world of soccer, certainly in the U.S., is thinking about the World Cup and you know how we kind of stake our claim to what we all expect will be a growing audience. Um, I've read estimates that in countries that host a World Cup, they see about a 10x interest in soccer. So obviously, you know, if you bring more fans to the top of the funnel, everyone wants to see who they can get through the funnel and become engaged with their league. And it, it's a great time for U.S. soccer in Italy. Um, so when I joined Sarah last season, there was one American player, Sergio Dest, playing in Italy, um, and he wasn't getting that much playing time with AC Milan. Over the summer, I was the luckiest man in the world because we signed arguably the top four players in the U.S. So now we have Christian Pulisic, uh, Timothy Weah, Weston McKinney, and Yunus Musa all playing in Italy and all thriving in Italy. So it's been great to see you know these U.S. MNT players coming to Italy and the attention that gets us in the U.S. I went to the U.S. men's national team game in Hartford, I guess it was about a month ago, and was sitting next to a guy who had an AC Milan jersey under a seat. And I was like, oh, are you a Milan fan? And he's like, I'm a Christian Pulisic fan, and that makes me a Milan fan. I was like, that's awesome. So, like, whatever we can do to find ways to get people interested in, you know, the awesome, unique football that happens in Italy, the better off we are, and having the American players here you know, gives us a running head start. Yeah, it's huge that uh, there's just more talent on the U.S. team because, I mean, I don't know the stats, obviously, but there wasn't many, let's say, in the top leagues not that long ago. And now there's sort of much more. From a grassroots perspective, is there anything being done to to increase this or make sure that the top players are funneling to that league or thinking about that league or, or what sort of the thought process around not only – building it but also just creating that pipeline of interest like you said because every, people follow players too especially on the soccer level hey i'm a milan fan because of Pulisic, right or they become milan fans because of Pulisic. Right. so you know it's a good question so a lot of the clubs have partnerships with some of the some youth leagues um to get their brand out there and do some talent talent identification um i mentioned sarah elite so that is a talent identification uh, initiative that we have in partnership with Rome City Institute. So we've done talent identification camps all over the U.S. We did one actually in, in uh, Fort, Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale last week. Um, I think they're in Baltimore this week. So that gives kids the opportunity to go and train in Rome and to go to school in Rome. It really is a student-athlete program. So that's a really great way that we can just get, get a broader set of people aware about Italian football. So, yeah, there's a lot that we're doing. Just the more the brand is out there, I think just the more possibilities we have for Americans to understand, you know, what's unique about Italy and Italian football. In terms of, uh, and obviously you, you were a fan, you played soccer. Now you're coming in, you're going through a lot of learning. You're being very generous by saying I played <laughs> soccer. My nickname was Flash. I was, didn't quite have uh, the wheels that were necessary, but uh, I had a lot of fun with it when I was a kid, for sure. That's cool. So between Italy, and obviously you said you spent some time there and around the league and then here in the States, any differences you see in, in sort of comparing really now the MLS 
in that league structure versus Serie. I'm calling it Serie A. I'm, I know you're saying Serie A. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> whatever, whatever makes you happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm an MLS fan, but uh, and I've been a New York City football club season ticket holder from day one. So, uh, I definitely appreciate the league, but it's just very different than what happens in Italy. I went to a game, so San Siro is the big stadium in Milan. Um, Inter Milan and AC Milan actually share that stadium today. There are potentially plans to build new stadiums, but um, today they share it. And it's an incredible, incredible experience. And uh, it was my first time there. uh, And I said to the person who I was with, I said, have you ever been to a, she was Italian. I said, have you ever been to a college football game in the US? And she said, no. And I said, it's really the only atmosphere that comes close to what I'm here today. And I'm not talking about every college football right. um, stadium. I'm talking about Michigan or University of Georgia or Notre Dame, right? There's a handful of them that have just incredible atmosphere. So being at the San Siro for an Inter Milan or an AC Milan match just really is an atmosphere that is so unique. So I think in the soccer world, you really can't compare what happens in the U.S. and in Italy. But if, I think if you look at sports in general, there are some similarities between just the level of fandom. I mean, soccer really is a religion in Italy. There's a match that the league sponsors every year called the Copa Italia. So that's a tournament that's adjacent to the regular season tournament. And last year, I mean, the final takes place in Rome every year. It's Stadio Olimpia. And last year, Inter played Fiorentina at that match. Um, and what they do... And I've been to Super Bowls, and, and but never experienced anything like, like this before. <laughs> half the stadium is one club, and half the stadium is another. So the Super Bowl it tends to be very corporate and very quiet, and it doesn't have an atmosphere. But in this case, it's like literally half the stadium are fans of one team, and they're they're facing each other. And so just the intensity of that is just really special. And I'm, I'm getting goosebumps again <laughs> by, by thinking about it. So we just have a really special soccer football is a religion in Italy. I'm in a level of passion. You really just can't believe unless you experience yourself in a match. The college football and soccer uh, comparison I've heard multiple times now. And it's true. So I've only actually been to one probably one of the best you can get not in italy but spain so you know it's still not a bad league la liga uh, not a bad league for uh, sure. barcelona and valencia game so not even like a real madrid barcelona you know just the just you know valencia is valencia and then obviously barcelona is barcelona and so that was the one soccer match and obviously i've been to a bunch of college football penn state fan and stuff and it's true like and i've heard more people come from the soccer world say that and i'm like yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. What are your thoughts on then the relegation, promotion, and sort of the differences of the league structure, even of a Serie A, and, and then in, here in the U.S., which there there isn't. There isn't. I mean, it's again, it's just the structure, and you said it. It's just very different. Um, promotion relegation really makes the league uh, so exciting. So, for those that don't know, uh, in European most most if not all European leagues, the bottom teams are sent down to a lower division. And the top teams from the lower division are sent up to the higher division. And what it really does is it keeps everything. The season is interesting, even if in some ways it's even more interesting if your team is in the relegation zone, because the, you know, what comes from that can be devastating for a club, given the amount of money that they have to give up. And often they have to shed players and, you know, shed people that work for the club in the front office. Uh, So it's really can be, it is devastating 
for clubs. Um, I'm a, I follow and support Leeds United because a very good friend of mine is from Leeds. And so last year when they were in the relegation battle, and in some ways it was more exciting and it felt more important to watch those games than if they were fighting for the top spot, because weirdly enough, the stakes are higher. And so what that does, and, you know, unfortunately as a New York city fan, we had a very tough year and we had a brutal year. It didn't make the playoffs, which, you know, most teams in MLS make the playoffs. So by the end of the season, it kind of wasn't interesting to me anymore because it was clear, even if we made the playoffs, we're going to go out after one match. But if we were at risk of being relegated, you know, the passion for the team and the intensity of every match at the end would have been incredible. So it actually would have been a lot of weirdly in a sick way. It would have been fun to have your team, you know, in the, in, in a relegation battle. So I think it, I'm a big fan of promotion relegation. I know the USL is starting to do that in the near future, at least talking about it. And I think that'll be really interesting how they implement that and kind of what it does for the profile of that league. Yeah, I wish they had a relegation and promotion in baseball, especially because my Pirates stink. So they would maybe get relegated and then we could get some new owners or something because the current owner just sits on it because the revenues keep going up. So he doesn't care. Hey, yeah, well, we won't spend any money on players. We'll just finish in last. And But but I also do get the the why if you're an owner especially of like the mls why you wouldn't want it now because you'd be like well our investment that's gone up all this crazy amount could go back to basically nothing if we lose a bunch so well you you pay hundreds of millions of dollars for that franchise so you you won't let that value go down totally understandable they see these as growing assets where you can't buy your way into sarah you can't buy your way into the Premier league you have you have to earn your way and it takes decades, but it's it's just a different, it's a very different approach. I like it. I, I think all that's how sports. I think I think it just. I think everything, even it should be built into, especially like college football and how that's changing. I think that's the next perfect U.S. American environment to test it out because it is through universities and stuff. And of and with NIL, if you can have like a top league and then a, and they already have it sort of. You have FCS and then you have. FBS and some of these FCS like James Madison moved up from FCS to FBS and now they're undefeated and so it's like but then they get punished by it's anyway uh, we won't we won't get on top off topic on it but I guess uh, you know sort of as we're, we're winding down here your career mostly across media and, and still in media now a little bit of sports what have you seen over these developments of really from pre-internet, then web one, web two, and now we're sort of in this web three, web 2.5 limbo uh, of some things you find or interesting. Or are we past web three? Who, who knows really where, where we are in the spectrum? I think it's easier to look back. So, you know, the world is changing so much. So when I started my career, maybe right before I started my career, there was three networks. Um, Fox was the big disruptor when they came on got the NFL and there were four networks. And then all of a sudden we had hundreds of cable channels and this proliferation of content and a lot of that being sports content. I mean, just even watching the evolution of ESPN, when I started watching ESPN back in the eighties, they, they showed, I think 20 hours a day of Australian rules football, which is pretty cool. Nobody really understood it, but it was pretty cool to watch. And then seeing cable, just offer just so much diversity of, of content and sports. And then the internet came and, you know, you could watch things like college lacrosse and high school football on the internet 
Uh, and then the, the transition to streaming, which I think we all thought was going to be kind of the next the next big thing. Obviously, it is going to be kind of how we engage and, and consume and, and buy content. But I think it's a lot different than I think what was, was what it then was initially, you know, what we all thought it was going to be. Um, and so I think that's where we are today is trying to figure out like what a steady state look like for sports or at least as steady as, as it can be for a period of time. And I think the question is, you know, really what's going to happen as far as streaming and our, you know, how much are people going to subscribe? Are we even, I think the big question is, you know, as a consumer, I think we all see streaming as not necessarily the best experience because everything is, you know, so in, in individual cul-de-sacs where there's no way, you know, what, what I think cable TV did really well was it was able to consolidate all the content onto one platform with one viewing guide. And now everything is again, kind of often a bunch of different cul-de-sacs. So what's going to happen to make things more accessible. And then, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting both about cable and with streaming is sports seems to be the anchor tenant for all that stuff, right? It's the one thing that people have to pay for to see in real time. And that's really the major value of sports is seen in real time. And so how much can, will that continue to drive kind of what, what streaming evolves into? And then, you know, we'll see what comes next. You know, ESPN is going to have an a la carte service. And I think, you know, they're going to have to charge. I, I was listening somewhere. I used to say read, but I, I'm, because I consume all my content in podcasts, I have to say, listen, <laughs> I listened to somewhere they were going to charge like $40 for that. So how many people are willing to pay $40 for ESPN? And then how many services or sports fans willing to pay for? So that's, I think, when things are going to be going to get really interesting. I don't think it, things will be a la carte necessarily, but the bundles will be much smaller and probably more expensive than they are today. And I think that could lead to the next evolution and kind of fundamental change we'll have to grapple with. That's interesting. And I want to go on something you said in there, listening and podcast now versus reading. What's, uh, what's been the change, the difference for you? And, and you know, what's, uh, how's that been? I'm curious. Cause like I've seen myself sort of even shift more to that. I'm just, uh, interested in, in the transition. Yeah. I mean, so again, I'm old enough that I used to walk out in the driveway and have to go get the newspaper for any information. I've been in media information, you know, news content junkie my whole life. So, you know, the change in how I've consumed content, you know, from the newspaper to the internet to apps and now today on podcasts. Um, but what I like about podcasts is very passive listening. So it's rare that I don't have headphones in and consuming something. And I think that there's a lot easier to get a diversity of opinion and content on podcasts. I try to keep a varied diet of everything from sports to what happens from what happens on the pitch to what happens off the pitch. Also health and wellness, um, hard news. I spend a lot of time uh, listening to podcasts and I think it's a really exciting time to watch a new medium really come, come of age. Uh, and I think we're all just getting more and more, more and more content that's accessible and in different ways. So some people want to read and there's still plenty to read. Some people like to watch video. I tend to listen because I like the ability to consume so much content, yeah. but you know, it, it, it's a, 
endless amount of content and opportunities about different ways to consume that content. Yeah. There's nothing like, uh, throwing the podcast in on, uh, I don't know if you golf, but I'm, you know, listening to the podcast on the way up to golf and then hitting at the range and you still got a podcast in and you're like, I'm getting better at golf. Well, maybe. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm learning while I'm doing it. So, or, or when I'm running, I always throw a pot. I don't know. You feel like double productive. I don't know if, if there's science or math behind that, but no, I agree. I mean, because, you know, I'm wearing, whether I'm doing the dishes, I mean, I live in New York, so I don't golf, but I walk a lot. And so, you know, whether it's doing the dishes or clean up the house or going walking to work, actually, I've extended my walk to work because I want to have time to consume more content. So I actually get off the subway a few stops early so that I have more time. It's not bad to get some extra steps in, but also yeah. more content. So, it's just, you know, content junkies. It's a, it's a wonderful time to be alive. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> the, the trivia we all have now is insane. But now, Andy, I, I appreciate you coming on. I guess anything else you want to talk about, Siri, uh, obviously let us know where website, socials, uh, your newsletter as well, where we can find all that uh, would be, sure, would be yeah, great. We, great. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Um, really interesting chat. And I, I pre- appreciate the questions and the opportunity to talk about Sarah and the, all the great things that are happening in the U.S. So I would say um, subscribe to Calcio Weekly. Maybe you'll, we'll give you a link that you can put in the show. Link's notes. great. Cool. Um, I think I read it already. I- yeah, I, re- I read it already because I read you guys launched that um, together, right? We did. So Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I read. Yeah, Ryan's. Okay. I just want to make sure they're the same. Yeah, I, I read yeah. that. So for any soccer fans that might listen to the Total Soccer Show, Ryan Bailey is one of the hosts of that. And he writes Cacho Weekly for us every week. It comes out on Thursdays. So subscribe to that. Um, we have a Sarah North American um, Instagram channel, Sarah underscore North America. Very creative. One thing I learned from Ted Turner working at CNN is call, call it what it is. So our sports calls our sports show is called sports tonight and the news show was news night. And so called, called what it is, uh, Sarah underscore North America. And then our matches are on CBS and Paramount plus they've got an excellent studio show with a great group of, um, of analysts and announcers. So tune in and, uh, watch the Americans kind of take on the Italians and the rest of the world. Any U S uh, men's team versus, Italian men's teams or, or women's any games or, or not really? I mean, the closest we get is when Juventus with their two Americans plays uh, okay. AC Milan with their two Americans. Okay. That's the closest, closest we have scheduled today, but you know, going to be a lot of international football coming up over the next few years. And you know, even with the club world cup in the U S in 2025, it'll be fun to see, a, you know, the top Italian teams playing on our soil for something that counts.